we're back. Welcome back, listeners. It is 2020 and the world has kept on turning. You know, it's been a little while since we have recorded an episode, but uh, we're back. We're better than ever. I stand that. Yeah, I stand it too. How are you, Elliot? Um, Pretty good. How are you? I'm great. I'm I'm ready to get into it. I'm ready to discuss some books and movies. Are you do you want to talk about your favorite movies this year that you've watched? Um yeah, sure, but do you mean new movies that I've seen this year or just movies in general that I saw this year? Both. Really... Or one or the other, it's up to you. No, we have to establish rules because I don't want you to start talking about something and then have it totally contradict what I thought the sure. plan was. Okay, well, how about your favorite movies? Okay. Uh, but of this year or just movies that, that you, I... Yeah, that you saw this year. So it could have been released before this year. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, of course, my own life, because hell yeah, life's a movie. Uh... <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> uh, other than that, for sure, uh, Casino, it's not the first time I've seen it, but <laughs> I watch it a lot and I love it. And you're laughing because you know that I do love it a lot. Yeah, maybe movies that you saw for the first time this year. I didn't know I'd have to give you so many rules for this list, but movies you saw for the first time this year. Oh, Can you think of one? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Okay, well, Lighthouse was very uh, incredible, and we talked about that on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, Movies that I saw for the first time that I thought were incredible. Parasite, we just watched. I'll talk about that in a later podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you're so stupid. I definitely told you to think of this in advance. Okay, so I'm gonna skip to my list then and let you think about that. No, but you didn't say that's what I'm glad we talked about it now. I guess I should have spoken about it earlier, but movies that I only saw for the yeah. first time. Well, okay. that's different. So, my favorite books of this year that I read, um, while Elliot thinks so, my favorite book was The Door by Magda Zabo, and it's a Hungarian novel it's a a really good book it's about a woman and her older friend and it's i mean i can't really give you too much information about it without spoiling it but it's mainly a really like microscopic look at a friendship over many years so that was a really great book i also read my brilliant friend which i talked about on the podcast that was my second favorite book third would be who do you think you are by alice monroe she'll always you know come up on my my top uh favorites lists of books I also enjoyed Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro. And number five would be Milkman, which I also talked about on the podcast. And then I have it. Uh, actually, I decided that Milkman would tie with The Luminaries by Eleanor Canton. And that was a book that won the Booker Prize. It's about um, early settlers in New Zealand during the, a gold rush that took place in, in the 1800s. So that or I guess yeah 1800 so that was a really good book it's over 800 pages but honestly I think it's one of the fastest books that I've read that of that length like I think of all the books I've read that are long that was like the easiest read it was really enjoyable some notable mentions would be uh The Perfect Nanny by uh Leila Slamani so that was a book about a nanny who kills two children in her care and that sounds really heavy but it's it's not really a, a crime novel it's it's more psychological I also really enjoyed Sabrina by Nick Drasno, and that was a graphic novel, which I haven't talked a lot about at the podcast, but I should do an episode. We should but do an not episode. books. Well, in my, that's up for debate. That's something we can debate. There's no debate. If you drop pictures, you're not a freaking writer. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's up for debate for sure. So that book was actually long listed last year for the Booker Prize, which was the first time a graphic novel had ever been, uh, long, uh, you know, nominated for the prize. So that was a big deal. And it was published by Drawn and Quarterly, a local uh, Montreal publisher. And then I also, on another notable mention would be The New Me, um, which is a, considered to be one of the big like millennial novels. So I'm going to talk about that in the next episode. It's going to be a double feature about, um, which is going to be in The New Me, and then another book called Looker, which are both about women who kind of are slowly losing their minds and are really kind of... Uh, obsessed with perfection so i felt like they were very similar novels so i thought i could could kind of kill two birds with one stone in, in the next episode so now elliot now that you've had some time to think what are your favorite movies of this year pretty hung up on you calling me stupid earlier so i didn't do a lot of thinking as stupid people don't but i guess i also enjoyed roma which we saw this year and I'm just, you know, it's hard because there's movies that I liked, but I wouldn't even say that I love them or would recommend them. I liked the new Harry Potter because I like Harry Potter. And you mean Fantastic Beasts? Yeah, the Fantastic Beasts. You enjoyed Crimes that of Grindelwald. Well, it's funny. I read something I wrote on Reddit, and I was pretty <laughs> critical of it. But at the same time, I love magic. What did you say on Reddit? I didn't know you wrote about um, Reddit. Yeah, I got into a little bit of a debate. I said it was queer baiting. <laughs> and I said that it didn't really make sense to me because I don't follow that um, Pottermore website that she writes on. And I said it felt like <laughs> it's for people that were checking Pottermore up until the film started. Okay, so you're a little upset. You're a little upset. On yeah, that. well, I think a lot of us were a lot of casuals. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't like making being made to feel like I was stupid in mm-hmm. Harry Potter. You know, I know a lot about it. So there's that. And uh, Cold War. Mm, yes, yeah, that was a good I movie. I liked Cold War. Mm, note the Wailing I saw 2018. Yeah, those are the only ones I can think of right now. Cool. Probably there's in other ones. Like, I don't know. Am I missing anything? I didn't love Midsummer, so I'm not going to say that. Um, well, can I tell you about some of the books that I read? Sure, I'd love to hear. Great. I mean, I did read uh, two Kazuo Ishiguro books that you mentioned, uh, Remains of the Day, which I actually lent to you after. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Happy to make the top five. Always happy to crack a list. And then is a second book, uh, Remains of uh, Never Let Me Go, which I found to be very sad. Mm-hmm. I know we were talking about this when I read it. I think I thought that Remains of the Day was the better book, but I enjoyed Never Let Me Go more. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm. Um, I think I read a Thomas Pynchon book. I read a book from the uh, that Canada. Essie Edjuguen. Yeah. What's it called? Oh, Washington Black. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was okay. It was like a fun adventure book. Um, but she won the Giller Prize that year, didn't she? Yeah. Cool, yo. And now I'm reading a fun little book uh, called The Last Wish. Mm. which, as you know, I'm reading it because we live together. It's a collection of short stories by the Polish author Andrzej Sapkowski. And uh, he, of course, notoriously um, got tricked out a lot of money by European game creators, CD Projekt Red. Big video game. Yeah, very big, actually. They are having a record year in sales because of that Witcher TV show that we both watched. Mm. But... uh, Yeah, anyway, I mean, on to the show, I guess. What do you think, Vanessa? 
Yeah. Did you have any New Year's resolutions for for movies or books? Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably like read a book a month, I think, would be an okay resolution to start with. It's already January 5th, and I'm about minus eight, so I kind of need to start working now or else I'm really going to be behind mm-hmm. this year. And then movie-wise, just like try not to watch Casino so much. Right. Because, of course, it's phenomenal. Oh, Sharon Stone is just something else. Can I say that? Can I get that on tape? Okay. Joe Pesci. Wow. And Robert De Niro. Stone Cold Fox. Okay. And I'm not embarrassed to say it. (laughs) You're out of the outer circle. Oh, no. You're out of the inner circle. Fokker. (laughs) Sure. You know, Meet the Parents. Okay. Oh, no. That's Meet the Fockers. Sure. You haven't seen that? No. And that's why I'm the movie expert. Yeah, yeah, that's why we need you on this show. Classic. Great. Well, can I talk about my New Year's resolution? I wish you would. So my resolution is to read 52 books, which if you are a mathematician, you may know is a book a week. That is my goal. It's a little ambitious, but I think I can do it. I'm already two books in. And I also would like to try to read more authors in translation and authors from other countries and just also generally authors uh, who are, are people of color, authors of color. So try to keep it diverse. And uh, you can follow my progress on my Goodreads account. If you don't have me already, then follow me for sure. And we can like each other's uh, updates and you can see what I rate books. Do you think Jeff Bezos uses Goodreads? Because he bought it. As you know, Amazon owns Goodreads. But do you think he's on there? No. Do you think he's looking up his now ex-wife? To see what her reading habits are like maybe she's reading a lot of leftist literature and he's like oh i hate that she's just trying to hurt me i think that jeff bezos can only read you know dollar signs that's all he cares about well as long as we continue to reap the benefits of same day shipping i'm happy for him well honestly actually i'm glad you brought this up because i just want to say to our listeners that it's really important to support independent bookstores don't book buy books on amazon i was reading a study that shows that if you buy books from Amazon, you're contributing to the loss of tax dollars because if you buy from an independent bookstore, those tax dollars are going to your municipal and your provincial or if you're in the state, state government. So it's contributing back into the economy, whereas Amazon is not doing that and it's disrupting our local economies. Amazon oftentimes benefits from Canada Post, which is, of course, a subsidized mailing company paid for by Canadian taxpayer dollars. So. And allowing them to participate in that same-day shipping and using our mailing services, we are, of course, letting them benefit off of our hard-earned money. And, of course, I do support Alberta Gate. Let them separate, become their own country. I'm so tired of oilers and farmers and just general grease monkeys out west having a fight for their rights. Yeah. But so also on that topic, I was reading also that apparently some people argue that Amazon is currently a monopoly like a very um not the typical definition of, of a monopoly but that they have a monopoly on retail online and so there's people who are suing them and so yeah don't buy from amazon if you have a if you can't find a book at your local bookstore you can actually go in and say can you order me this book please and you can they can order it for you the same way that amazon would where they deliver it to the store but then you're contributing to the bookstores you know money and if i you're go there the will they be able to download it right to my kindle account probably not anyways so what movie are you going to talk about today i'll be talking about a little known mystery comedy film known as knives out directed by 
Ryan Johnson, none other than the director of Star Wars, the eighth one. Don't remember the name right now. He was uh, thrown under the bus. I want to say magnanimously by everybody in the whole freaking world. They all hated him. It's insane. He's never said anything. He's been very humble about it. He was handed a dying franchise with all these insane loose ends and said, now you make a movie. It's not fair to Ryan. I didn't like it at first. Okay, I did not like the eighth Star Wars when I first said it. But having read so much criticism unfairly directed towards him, I cannot help but feel utter support for him and the Star Wars franchise. Mm. So I will be seeing Star Wars Episode Nine. Hashtag free Ryan Johnson. Anyway, it was pretty good. What are, what are you going to be talking about, Vanessa? Oh, well, who cares about me? Talk about your movie. Okay. Well, I'll give you the quick read so you don't have to Google it or read it on Wikipedia. It's a contemporary whodunit. The film follows a family gathering gone awry after the family patriarch's death leads a master detective to investigate. And Vanessa's nodding her head. She was there too. Actually, Vanessa's whole family went. Tell us about that, Vanessa. Yeah, hi, mom and dad. They came out to see the movie with us. And I think one of your sisters had unfortunate seating mishap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my sister's seat broke. But hey, I'm not trying to diss Cineplex. Well, I thought it was incredible the way that Everybody just let her take hammer to chair before movie started yeah. so that she could get free tickets. Yeah. <laughs> that was appalling to me. But on to the movie. Great film. Ryan Johnson did a bang-up job. Stars Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, who was in, uh, you might remember, The Night Before, the Christmas film. Do you know who I'm talking about in the movie? He's their drug dealer yeah. who also plays God or something. Very yeah, he's good. Uh, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stanfield, Christopher Plummer plays the grandfather. Anyway, excellent. Uh, it's about a family gathering. They all go to see this old man for his birthday or something. And uh, and uh, the next day he mysteriously dies. So the whole family is kept there for investigation. Uh, They're under the investigation. Well, first by Lakeith Stanfield, who's kind of like a junior investigator, it seems like, as well as his partner. But then very quickly, Daniel Craig steps in to take over the role. He plays this like old South, very like over the top classic investigator. He's so funny. I really think that he's definitely the highlight. Um, yeah, so all the family members are being investigated to see who killed the grandfather. Well, the father. What's his profession? Who? Christopher Plummer's character. Author. Of... <laughs> murder mysteries yes i just thought that might be relevant yeah yeah it's kind of a fun little uh nod to the audience mm -hmm. and fans of murder mysteries everywhere mm -hmm. so as the movie progresses you know we're like well who done it you know and that's kind of where who the movie done comes it from. i was screaming exactly. they just squirt me out of the theater i was exactly. shrieking exactly and it's funny you know anna de Armas plays uh, uh christopher Plummer's nurse Mm -hmm. We see that they're actually friends. I don't know if I can or should really spoil too much. Maybe talk about it and then you could. But yeah. Talk about what? The movie. But I'm talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can spoil it. Okay. <laughs> well, God's not real. There. I just kind of gave away a bigger answer to a question nobody asked. Vanessa's rolling her eyes. She cannot believe it. No. Uh, yeah. So we learn that. Actually, Anna de Armas, whose character is the one that killed Christopher Plummer uh, through investigation and flashbacks, we see that 
her character. Babe, you have to say spoiler alert before you say a spoiler. It's the law. Oh, but no, I think we made it pretty clear that I was going to spoil it. But you have to say spoiler alert. Okay, spoilers alert. Oops. See, I'm bad at it. I don't even like it. I just kind of drop bombs. Um, Yeah, so we see that she's a nurse. She was taking care of Christopher Plummer, which is so nice and such a relief to hear that he had good care. Uh, but in doing so, she accidentally mixed up his medication with his drugs, his morphine. And she gave him what she thought was the right dose for his medicine and the right dose for his morphine. But actually, she mixed them up. So she thought, and I put emphasis on thought because it comes back in a big way later, that she was she had overdosed her friend and employer, Christopher Plummer. Mm-hmm. Wow. Panic ensues. She realizes, oh, I made a big mistake. She has to escape with Christopher Evans' character, who... Up until that point, we've kind of led to believe that maybe he was the one to do it. Am I right in that, Vanessa? Did you just say she escapes with him? Anyways, these details don't yeah, really matter. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. I don't like to write things down, so yeah. for me, it's just kind of like more spur of the moment. But yeah. I'm kind of just leading to the big things. Uh, great film, great film. Can I just jump into what the one thing I didn't like in this movie? Sure. <laughs> do whatever you want. Okay, cool. There's a scene towards the end where it becomes a car chase scene. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes. So Anna de Armas's character is getting blackmailed. She thinks it's by the family. There's who because she's left all of the will from Christopher Plummer's character. All of the will. So she, he means everything. Everything. All, all of the, the money. money. Yeah, all the money in his will is left to her exclusively. Mm-hmm. So very suspicious seeming to the family. Yes. And because we've learned earlier that he had been cutting his family off because he felt guilty that he hadn't let them do anything themselves. All of his family members, his kids were very successful. Yeah, and they were kind of shitty. You know, Tony Collette's character was very funny, but she was like a like a goop character. Gwyneth Paltrow? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, they're all very mad at Anna Darmus because they see that she's the one that's gonna be getting all the money. They're suspicious, like, oh well, were you sleeping with him? That kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So she runs away with Chris Evans. She tells Chris Evans the whole story. He's like, no problem. Very cool with it. He's in a very cool sweater. I don't know if you guys have seen Twitter, but his sweater is out of this world cool, okay? I stan a king, and that's hard for me to say because, of course, my lord, my god, Adam Driver, is so popular right now with Marriage Story. Yeah. But I stan Chris Evans in that sweater. Anyway... They go to a medical center to get the proof. I know I'm kind of <laughs> rambling now, but I didn't like, let me just re- I think this is probably one of the most difficult movies you've had to review because a murder mystery is kind of difficult to summarize. Well, no, it's very easy to summarize what happens in the end, but I'm just trying to go through all the little detours that take Right, but there's point. all these little clues and all these things yeah, that so are sort of I'll convoluted. say it's like kind of a classic whodunit like clue, you know what I mean, where they're just trying to go through the clues and everything. But I found it was pretty out of character for that movie and, and jarring and not in a way that I enjoyed or found like subverting any kind of expectation at this point is they enter like a pretty big car chase scene through like a town, through like a town, downtown area, like a more of a rustic downtown. And uh, until that point, there'd been like no real action, right? It's just dialogue and it's kind of funny, but this just felt like stupid action-y. And I wonder if that was like studio interference or if Ryan Johnson still had the Star Wars bug, so he had to get some action in there. But, uh, man, I had a breath now. Yeah, I love that movie. It was very funny to me. Daniel Craig alone was so funny. 
Actually, I found like um, Chris Evans to be pretty overrated. I think a lot of the audience and the theater was laughing the most at his parts, but I thought he felt like pandering again to like a bigger audience, like the studio audience, let's say. Mm, Not to someone of your intellect and movie review. That's it. That is it. It wasn't um, highbrow enough for Mm. me, right? So what do you give it out of 10? Eight. How many thumbs up do you give that movie, Elliot? Well, when he thumbs a monkey guy when he's chewing on bananas, man, like, I'll give it 17 thumbs out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay, I'll probably so give it like 8, eight out, of out of 10. Yeah. Okay. You agree with that? You saw it too. I mean, let's uh, quickly. I mean, I mean, yeah, I would probably say 8. I love murder mysteries. I'm a sucker. And I think this was still, um, it was like a good murder mystery. It wasn't, it was not predictable at all. I don't think anybody predicted the ending. Did you so, almost feel like it was kind of anticlimactic in the end, though? A little bit. Like, I guess, like you said, there wasn't a lot of action. It was more dialogue, so it wasn't super, like, um, you know, it didn't get your blood pumping. There wasn't a lot of suspense. It was just sort of funny. Yeah. So, just now talking about it, like, there wasn't even real. The twist itself was kind of like, oh, no, you were right all along. Like, it was, can I say it? Yeah. Soiler alert. It was Chris Evans' character. Who did the murdering? He's a grandson of Christopher yeah. Plummer. Yeah, he's the, one of the grandsons of Christopher Plummer. But uh, you're kind of led to believe like that actually it really was Anadarmus that killed him, but through some kind of trickery, which, again, felt a little bit like unrealistic. Granted, suspension disbelief for this kind of movie. Um, yeah. He switches the medication and the morphine. Yeah, he switches the medication and, and the morphine, expecting her to overdose him and he switches the labels too oh right yeah this is sad right. go into detail about but this. yeah she is so, they say she's such a professional nurse she's so talented uh that for her even though she didn't read the labels when she picked them up off the ground because she dropped them by accident and that's how she got them mixed up yeah this is very complicated somehow she knew by sense the weight of the different bottles and could sense the microscopic like the micrometer, whatever, like that weight difference, microgram difference between two liquids. And from then, instinctively actually gave him the right medication. Yeah. So she thought she gave him too much morphine and he slits his throat yeah. thinking he's about to die. Yeah. So maybe the but movie But he started... was not dying. Yeah. So maybe now that we're talking about it, the movie unraveled a lot sooner than the car chase. It was insane. He and... slit his throat. Can you go into that? He slit his throat. To protect her because he thought she yeah. had killed him. He thought that she had overdosed him. So to protect her because he, you know, she didn't know this at the time, but we know knew crazy. that she was in the will and the only one getting the money. So he was like, I don't want you to lose the money. And oh, I guess. The, yeah, I she's guess an undocumented worker. Or her mom is like an undocumented yeah. worker or something. And so it's all for her mom. It's all for the mom. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's like a bit of tokenism. A little bit, yeah. Ryan doesn't necessarily sound like a white name, but... So in summary, I'm, I am would like to see this director's other films, though, because it did feel like fun where it's like playing on this genre genre expectations, but still, I found it like a little bit subversive, I guess, because it didn't feel like such a traditional well, there were Well, there were some fun nods throughout the movie kind of mm-hmm. to what was going on around us in the real world. Like they, one of the grandsons was a neo-Nazi and they like to laugh about that. And uh, and I think there were nods to other movies too, which yes. I can't think of right now. But it seemed like it was inspired by like Hitchcock and some other kind of 
Hitchcock, thrillers. yes. And yes. of course, uh, that is one of the highbrow aspects of the movie that I enjoyed, uh, yeah. as well as some of the comedy. What are your favorite Hitchcock movies? Vertigo. You Fam- didn't you didn't even finish that. Anyways, yes, go no, on. Vertigo, I saw oh, it. Oh, Vertigo. Famously, <laughs> Birds of Prey, where Alfred Hitchcock threw... Birds at a woman falling, looking over an elevator, and she right. got very sick from vertigo, and he <laughs> called that hybrid That's vertigo. Funny, yeah. Vertigo. And then, of course, uh, those are the only ones that I've seen. Oh, and I saw the one directed by Ingrid Birdman, where they're playing chess. <laughs> so, not, so not Hitchcock. <laughs> no. What do you mean? I'm just thinking of cool movies I've seen sure. that are old, and I fell asleep. Okay, it's in. my turn, anyways. So I'm going to talk about a book now. Is is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to be talking about The First Bad Man by Miranda July. Wait, can I just give a quick suggestion? Sure. Can you imagine if that was written by a freaking Rastafarian? What do you think it would be called? I don't know. Would you be saying it like the first Bodmon? That's good. That's funny. (laughs) Okay. So this is one of the funniest and most original books that I've ever read. And this is also the book that has elicited the most physical reaction in me like while you, reading. You barfed? No, but I it was pretty close. I'll, I'll elaborate. Don't worry. So this book was recommended to me by my good friends, Olivia and Abigail Cashel. What up? Shout out. Gang. Gang, gang. Book girl gang. So uh, I don't usually kind of go for books that are like very funny at the moment. Like it's not really what I'm reaching for, but... I trust their taste, so I said, hey, I'll give it a try. So here's a little summary of this book. So it's about a woman named Cheryl Glickman. She is in her early 40s, and she works at a nonprofit women's self-defense studio that mainly supports itself by selling DVDs of martial arts-influenced fitness routines. The narrator pines for a board member of the nonprofit named Philip, who is 20 years her senior, and she is convinced that they have been companions over several lives. In the previous lives, they were lovers. That doesn't sound good. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little delusional. Oy, oy, oy. Ladies, am I right? So she also believes that she is destined to be united with a boy she calls Kubelko Bondi, whose spirit briefly appears in various infants she has encountered over the decades, all of them sadly belonging to other women. Cheryl, she, she has a very strict and bizarre cleaning routine and, and a way of managing her home that involves using very few items. So here's a quote from the book. Before you move an object far from where it lives, remember, you're eventually going to have to carry it back to its place. Is it really worth it? Can you read the book standing right behind, right next to the shelf with your finger holding the spot you'll put it back to? Or better yet, don't even read it. At my best, at its best, my system gives me a smoother living experience. My days become dreamlike. No edges anywhere. None of the snags and snafus that life is so famous for. After days and days alone, it gets silky to the point where I can't even feel myself anymore. It's as if I don't exist. So that's a little brief excerpt from the book. So that gives you a bit of an insight into the the mind of the narrator. She's kind of losing it. She definitely is suffering from mental health issues and... It does not help when she gets an unwanted roommate. So she is essentially saddled with the child of her boss, who's a 19-year-old girl. Her name is Klee, and she is described as being very, very beautiful to the point of being, like, overwhelmingly sexy. She's described as having, like, very big breasts. She's a blonde. 
she's kind of a very tr- conventional beauty. Oh my goodness! Say yeah. no more. Yeah, try Jeez, to keep it in your pants, Elliot. I wish Elliot. you hadn't painted. I feel like I gotta get out of here. <laughs> so that's sort of where the main plot of the story is is around this roommate that she's given. So she's has to take care of this girl, Clee. She's extremely rude. She's very unhygienic. Her feet smell very bad. She essentially lives on her couch and just watches TV all day. And Clee treats her very badly. So when I said this gave me like the most physical reaction I've had reading a book. I was, I remember I could not put this book down. I was walking down the street reading it and I was sweating and I was hot in the face because I was so stressed because the way that this girl treats the narrator, it's beyond uh, comprehension. Like it's, it's one of the rudest interactions I've ever, I guess, witnessed in quotations because she's just so mean to her and it's insane because she's allowing, uh, Cheryl's allowing Clee to live in her home and she's, being really mean and why does she just let that happen well i mean that's this book is very complicated the the themes i think but she is sort of submissive to clee and clee eventually starts to physically fight with her and it's it's completely outrageous it's like nothing i've ever read read before but are they in love well it becomes very complicated so but I think we could agree now, if they're in love, it's okay. Yeah, then it's fine if your partner hits you, for sure. That's not funny, okay? I didn't say that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so, Clee starts to fight with her, but Cheryl realizes that she actually kind of likes it. Mm. And this is where it becomes complicated, because she starts to consent to this fighting, and she, she essentially starts to antagonize Clee, or they eventually actually start to talk about this and be like, hey, I like fighting with you. And it becomes clear very quickly that for Clee, it is kind of a sexual thing. And then slowly, Cheryl starts to realize that it's also sort of sexual for her too. And it sort of has to do with this sexual awakening for her where she realizes that she is interested in women. And she sort of struggles with identifying her feelings for Clee as being uh, like romantic. So they do actually form a relationship, but they only really have intercourse uh, twice in the novel because Clee seems to sort of be very ashamed and she actually says she's a misogynist. So she identifies as a misogynist and that she hates women. So it becomes pretty clear that she's been fighting Cheryl because she can't really accept that she is gay and that she doesn't, she's been fighting those feelings. Um, so long story short, because there's so much that goes on in this book, Clee gets pregnant. She, she's, she has, she's hooked up with another person. She gets pregnant and she very clearly does not want to have a child Um, but she does and Cheryl essentially sort of takes on the role of being the mother and they even though they're sort of pretending like they're in a relationship and have a child it's really just Cheryl taking care of the child while Clea is still living the life of a of an adolescent essentially and eventually she does leave Clea for another woman or Cheryl for another woman and Cheryl's left with the child also throughout this she's um she's still sort of in love or in the beginning she's in love with this man philip and philip has been coming to her and asking for her permission to have sex with a teenage girl who's 16 and he's in his like 60s so the way i'm describing it it is like probably one of the most graphic depictions of sex that i've read in a book so it is very graphic this isn't for everybody but i did 
this book was like the most original thing I've ever read. There are a lot of flaws, which I'll go into, but like, I, I mean, for that alone, it's kind of worth checking out because it's just like nothing I've ever read before. You sound like a little bit of a pervert when you talk no, about it. No, 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 no. I won't be slandered like that on my podcast. You know, that's the word I don't throw around very lightly, but you sound pervy, Vanessa. No, 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 no. I'm literary. Mm-hmm. And then it's okay. Ba-da-ba. So, yeah. So basically, a big theme in this is like obviously sexuality, but also gender performance. So the reason the book is called The First Bad, bad Man is because... They start to reenact fight scenes based on the um, fitness DVDs that her nonprofit makes. So, in one of these videos in the DVD, someone is labeled as the first bad man. So, she tells Clee, like, you're the first bad man. So, anyways, that's just the context of the title of the book. Another bit of context is the author herself. She has this was her first novel she's written a collection of short stories called No One Belongs Here More Than You, which I've heard is really good and I'd like to check out because I think that Miranda July's writing is a little bit more suited to the short form. I think this book felt a little bit longer than it needed to be. Um, and she's also written, created a lot of movies. She's directed a lot of films. And so there was also moments that felt very cinematic in this book and not necessarily in a good way. It felt like more like a screenplay than an actual novel. Um, but so, yeah, so another theme, gender performance. I think that the fact that they begin their relationship with Cleve pretending to be a man who is fighting Cheryl that then becomes like a sexual thing to me felt very interesting in how it's kind of commentary on gender roles it's I really there was moments where I don't think I fully understood everything that maybe the author was trying to say but it still felt powerful and like interesting because I haven't really read many books that have such a modern take on like gender performance and the ways it can kind of influence a person's view of their own sexuality it's but it was anyways it was interesting and I'm if any of our you know listeners have checked out this book i really would like to hear your thoughts on kind of maybe what what this is saying about gender roles and and sexuality um so i think the flaws would be just that uh i think like i said her this could have been maybe like a good short story but because it was a novel i felt like some of the other characters were sort of two-dimensional and you know i i hesitate to describe this as being whimsical because i've read a lot of authors or writers have reviewed this book as being whimsical and then other people have said that this is sort of offensive and it's typically a term used to describe women's writing Um, but there were a lot of moments that felt like too absurd for me and they were so wacky to the point of being just unnecessary to the plot so an example would be that Cheryl's gardener asks her to order snails for her garden and at one point the male order snails arrive and they get over they they crawl over the entire house and throughout the book they're kind of picking snails off things and that just felt like really unnecessary to the story it didn't really add anything so there was a lot of silliness that sometimes I thought was very funny and enjoyed but other times I just thought it was sort of unnecessary so yeah there's just there's a lot in this book but essentially it ends with her it's like a flash forward of her son coming home from uh wherever he's moved to and he's coming home on the airplane and he's running his he he watches as cheryl runs to him and they're reunited in the air in the airport and that to me felt like a very cinematic ending like how many movies end in airports right and um it just didn't feel like a good ending to the story a satisfying ending to the story to me but overall i would recommend this book just because of the fact that it's very funny it's very original 
you know, I've never, there aren't like a ton, there aren't like a ton, a ton of forms of media that depict older women who are single and sort of just trying to figure things out. So I think for that alone, it's valuable. And her depiction of sort of living with, I think she has at one point suffers from OCD because she becomes obsessed with the sexual fantasy of Klee, but it's obviously not something she enjoys. Like she can't stop thinking about it, but in a very like obsessive compulsive way, which was interesting. And she also kind of, it's alluded to the fact that she's maybe suffered from depression and her coworkers don't like her. She's, she's essentially just desperately seeking to have a connection with someone. She doesn't have any close friends or family. And so I felt like it was very moving emotionally just to get like a microscopic view of someone who's living alone and, and desperately like seeking a social connection. So, yeah. What do you think wow. about that? Well, I mean, I did comment earlier that you sounded a little pervy, but you've since elaborated and I don't think you sound pervy anymore. Well, I'd say to all of our pervert listeners out there, you're going to love this I'm one. talking to you, Olivia. Yeah, Olivia and Abigail, this one's for you. You big pervos. Thank you. Is for Abigail a pervert? This. Yeah. Can we put that on blast for a second? I think we can put that on paper. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I, I mean, uh, so you say, like, you felt like the ending was kind of cinematic, but isn't Miranda July also known for, like, a movie or something that she did? Yeah, so that's, yeah, I'm, like I mentioned, so she directed, I think, Me, You, and Everyone We mm, Know. Yeah, which got um, a lot of praise. Yeah, so she's, she's super, she's a super talented artist. She's done a lot of performance art, live per- solo performances. She's a very exp- experimental artist. So I'm, I really would love to see her next book and I think this was a really great debut novel but there were obviously a lot of things she could have worked on and whatever she does next I think will be great because she's had this experience of writing her first novel um but like I said I do think I think her short story collection would really be worth checking out because she see I can already just tell from this that she's someone who would succeed in a short form uh story because she I think she really likes focusing on people who are very different and I think the idea of giving a brief glimpse of the life of a kind of big weirdo I think she'd be really good at that and mm. they would be really entertaining stories yeah yeah I, I haven't read the book but it sounds that way so yeah. what, what do you think you'd give it out of 10 I would give it an 8 out of 10 I think again it's just it was so original and eccentric and I really even though I don't again I really don't know I don't know exactly what I came away with from the book but I think that it just forced me to think about things I hadn't thought about before her weird relationship with her her roommate at Klee the their bizarre role-playing fighting relationship it was like nothing I've ever read before and again it was so bizarre but I I I liked that it just forced you to to think about gender performance in this different Mm -hmm. kind of way Mm -hmm. so yeah cool so what are you going to talk about next in the next episode for movies, Elliot? Uh, so next, I think I'm going to be talking about the Korean, South Korean movie Parasite Ooh. by is it Bong Joon something. I don't want to say it and then mess it up, but I'll be doing that. Came out uh, this 2019. It's getting a lot of praise. He also did Snowpiercer and Oka. Okja. 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 Yeah. It's Bong Joon-ho. Okay, yeah, Bong Joon-ho. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, we really liked it. I loved it. Incredible movie. Probably give it a 10 out of 10. Fantastic. Subtitled, but that's okay. Because I can read. 
And Vanessa, next week, you said you're going to be doing a double uh, creature feature. What do you yes. think? Yes. So, like I said, I'm going to be doing the new me by... Haha, <laughs> one sec. And new me, is that like the B new and me, U? Holly Butler. Am I? Like, is it a Swedish book? No. Oh. So, it's an American novel by Holly Butler, the new me, which is about a millennial woman who is struggling to find a job. She's She's been working at temp agencies but I won't give too much away. And then the other book is called Looker by Laura Sims, which is about a woman who her husband is divorcing her and she's kind of losing it and she becomes obsessed with her neighbor who is a celebrity, which haven't we all been there? A tale as old as time. Yeah, like I said earlier, I'm literally looking at Adam Driver's uh, Twitter page right now. I am obsessed with him and I'm paying people in the greater Los Angeles area to go door to door and figure out which door is his. So I can't wait to hear more about this from the voice of a professional writer next week. Yeah, great. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and happy 2020. Happy New Year. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for stopping by. Catch happy the... Saint... What's an anchorman? San Diego. Ha- thanks, San Diego, and thanks for stopping by. All right, well, then. Anyways. <laughs> okay, see you guys later. Bye. <laughs>